0: Welcome, everyone, to the Full Life Podcast by Grace Church, where we hope to inspire, challenge, and clarify your next steps in faith. I'm David Lawson, and today, Pastor Bob Fedoroff and I will be talking about what the future holds for the church and the nation of Israel. This is actually the second podcast on this topic. If you happen to miss the first one, you're going to want to listen to that one first. There's a link in the description. Uh, because... In the first discussion about this topic, we covered some of what we called the main events of eschatology. And now that I've said the word, Pastor Bob, uh, we might need you to remind us again of the definition of eschatology. It's not a word that's in our everyday vocabulary.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the word eschatology just means the study of the last days or the last things. So eschatology is a study about what's coming in the future from a biblical standpoint.
0: Good. We needed that refresher for sure. Um, Let me remind you though, if you haven't yet downloaded the Timeline of Future Events PDF, you'll want to do that so you can follow along with our conversation today and have a little bit more context for that. Uh, There's a link in the description that you can use. So Bob, last time we talked uh, talked about what we called the main events Mm -hmm. of eschatology. Of course, we don't mean by that, that they are inherently more important than any other event in God's plan for the future. But what we meant by it is that those events are major markers along the timeline of future events for the church and Israel. But today, what we want to do is we want to talk about some of those lesser known, maybe even more overlooked, possibly even misunderstood events, at least less understood, which are important to God's plan for the future. So Bob, if we could, I think it'd be good to, and helpful again, to move chronologically along the timeline and pick up a few of these less familiar and even misunderstood events. Let's talk about some of those events related to the events of the tribulation. Um, Now, we talked about the tribulation last time, what it was and its purpose uh, in our last podcast, but let's talk now about some of the other events that are associated with that uh, seven-year time span. So let's try this. Let's make this kind of a lightning round where we talk about several characters and key events kind of in a little bit rapid fashion that, that show up during the tribulation. All of them, of course, are important, but they might be some of the least understood people and events in the Bible. Let's start with a number, the 144,000. What is that? Great question. The 144,000 are individuals that are
1: described in Revelation chapter 7. And John again is writing, the Apostle John, and he says, Then I heard the number of those who were sealed. That is, they have come to Christ and turned to him as their Messiah, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. And then John goes on to say that 12,000 come from each of those 12 tribes. 12,000 times 12? 12. There's the 144,000. These are evangelists. They are individuals who have committed themselves to Jesus Christ, and they go into the world to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are living in the world during the time of the Great Tribulation. Many of those, I believe, are martyred Mm. for their faith Mm. and for their commitment to proclaim the news about Jesus.
0: So, these are Jews who are sealed by God for and protected by God for a special purpose, for a special time, for a certain period of time uh, to proclaim the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ in the midst of this uh, intense persecution. Okay, there's another pair of people called the two witnesses. Who are they?
1: Well, th- that's a good question. Frankly, not everybody agrees on who they are, uh, but we are introduced to them over in uh, Revelation chapter 11, when we're told simply that there are two witnesses who are given the power to proclaim the truth about Jesus for 42 months. Um, They are preaching, and then they are killed. Now, the question is, who are those people? Who are those individuals who are simply called two witnesses? We're not told their names. Some people believe that those two witnesses might be Moses and Elijah. Frankly, these witnesses are described to have power that would be similar to the miraculous power that Moses and Elijah had, like turning water into blood. The witnesses have the power to destroy their enemies with fire, really similar to what Elijah did. We're also told that Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus at the transfiguration. So it could be that these are Moses and Elijah. But other people believe that these two individuals are actually Enoch and Elijah because the scripture tells us that it's appointed unto man once to die Hmm. and after that to face judgment. Well, neither Hmm. Enoch nor Elijah experienced death. So it seems that they would qualify for the job, right, (laughs) of serving as the two witnesses, because Mm. they hadn't been killed before. Mm. And in this case, they do die ultimately and suffer a martyr's death because of their proclamation about Jesus. Mm.
0: Now, uh, two other characters uh, whose names come up and we hear people talking about them, the beast and the false prophet. Mm. Uh, Who are they? Well, we are introduced to the beast and the false prophet in chapter 13 of Revelation.
1: In fact, first of all, we're just... Uh, introduced to the individual who's called the beast out of the sea. I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had 10 horns and 7 heads with 10 crowns on his horns and on each head a blasphemous name. Mm-hmm. And then it, the scripture goes on to describe what he's like. The beast out of the sea, I believe, is the Antichrist or the man of lawlessness as he's also described by the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Why do I believe that? Because here's what it says about him. He opened his mouth to blaspheme mm. God mm. and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them, and he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, this beast of the earth, who worship, and all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. Now, the beast out of the sea... I think, again, is the man of lawlessness because he blasphemes Mm -hmm. against God, Mm -hmm. much like what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2, Mm -hmm. where the individual described as the man of lawlessness sets himself up in God's temple, Mm -hmm. proclaiming himself to be God. On the other hand, the false prophet is also identified simply not as the beast out of the sea, but as the beast out of the earth. Down in Revelation chapter Mm -hmm. 13, verse 12, we're told. That he exercised all authority on the of the first beast, uh, first beast on his behalf, and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, mm. whose fatal wound had been healed, mm-hmm. and he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven and so forth. So the point is, the false prophet or the beast on the earth points people to worship the man of sin, the man of lawlessness, or the antichrist.
0: Mm. Wow, those are. Uh... Again, more sobering words of events that's going to be taking place, uh, so blasphemous, so deceptive. Um, And, of course, we see the beast and the false prophet playing a key role in all of that. Of course, you tipped your hand a little bit uh, Mm -hmm. in that explanation about another event called the Abomination of Desolation. Uh, Now, you want to talk language, we don't use very much. Mm -hmm. We don't use that. What is the Abomination of Desolation? Well, we
1: are first introduced to the Abomination of Desolation Back in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verse 27, we've uh, mentioned it briefly in another podcast, and here's what it says about uh, that event. He, speaking of the man of sin who's coming, will confirm a covenant confirm a covenant or a peace treaty with many, I believe that to be the Jews, for a period of seven years. In the middle of that seven-year period, he puts an end to the sacrifice and offering that had been occurring at the temple. And on a wing of the temple, he sets up, here's the phrase, an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So this man of sin demonstrates his own rebellion against God by setting himself up in God's temple as the final authority. A glimpse of this occurred actually in history when a Greek leader named Antiochus Epiphanes, many years before the time of the Lord Jesus, offered as a sacrifice on the altar of the temple a pig, mm-hmm. the ultimate insult to Jewish people. The abomination of desolation was pictured mm-hmm. in that event. Mm-hmm. But the ultimate abomination of desolation happens, as Paul describes in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, when the man of lawlessness opposes and exalts himself over everything that is Mm. called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself Mm. to be God.
0: Mm. Wow, that is going to be um, an incredible event and really uh, a turning point um, in uh, the events of the end times, for sure. Uh, And then there's one other um, term I want to... Refer to now uh, related to the tribulation, and that is Babylon. Mm-hmm. And uh, when when a reader comes across in the book of Revelation, when they come across this name uh, of Babylon, uh, what is that referring to? That's a great question, and there, frankly, is
1: some debate about that individual word. Of course, there was a literal Babylon that existed uh 3,000 years ago, during the time of Daniel. Um, Daniel lived during the time of the Babylonian Empire, about 600 years before the time of Christ. And the Babylonians controlled the world. Babylon was the capital of the Babylonian Empire. Daniel was one of those young men that was carried away captive in the Babylonian empire. invasion of Jerusalem, where Jerusalem was ransacked by Nebuchadnezzar and his army. So, there was a literal Babylon, but the name Babylon in Revelation is probably a name that is used to describe the religious and Mm -hmm. political system that characterizes Mm -hmm. the tribulation. It's sort of the uh, ultimate symbol of rebellion against God. Now, is that an individual city? Could be. Um, perhaps it is located on this earth in an individual area. Um, it may simply describe uh, a system mm-hmm. where uh, the Antichrist leads a rebellion against God himself mm-hmm. in, in a, a great act of pride and wickedness.
0: Yeah, like I personally like that word system, that concept of system, because uh, in back-to-back chapters in Revelation, we see Babylon referred to as kind of a religious system, and then in 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 chapter 17, then in chapter 18, we see it maybe referred to as an economic system, and so these are things that oppose systems that, at at the very least, they're systems that oppose God Mm -hmm. and His work. And, of course, we know the evil one right now is at work in his own systems to oppose God. We shouldn't be blind to that. Uh, We see this in spades in the future, but we should not be blind to how it's happening now in our own world. Uh, We need to be diligent and observant about that. Well, thanks, Bob. Those are important events that we need to understand, and uh, thanks for providing us with a good orientation um, around these characters and these events of the tribulation. I think it's going to help us as we study on our own. Mm Now, there's another event that we didn't, we kind of skipped over the last time we talked about eschatology, Um, and uh, after the return of Jesus Christ, and before he ushers in this millennial kingdom, there's another judgment that takes place. It's called the sheep and the goat judgment. Uh, That one is a mystery to a lot of people. Why don't you explain to us a little bit about what the sheep and the goat judgment is? Yeah, so let's remember who's on earth during the tribulation. Okay.
1: The church is gone. The church is in heaven. Those who are on earth fall into two groups of people. Those who have come to turn to Jesus as their Messiah, Mm -hmm. Jews and Gentiles, and those who have rejected him and followed the way of the man of sin, the man of lawlessness. Mm -hmm. At the end of that period of time that we've been calling the Great Tribulation, the scripture identifies it as that seven-year period that culminates and the kings of the earth coming against the Lord himself at the Battle of Armageddon, the scripture tells us that Jesus is going to return in power and glory. And Jesus picks up that imagery in Matthew 25 and describes that moment when he comes in glory. When the Son of Man comes, in verse 31, in his glory, And all the angels with him. He will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. Those are the nations of the earth who are living during the tribulation. Hmm. He'll separate the people one from the other as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, here's the key phrase. Mm-hmm. I tell you the truth, whatever you did, For one of the least of these brothers of mine, Mm -hmm. you did it for me. Mm -hmm. So apparently, this judgment of the sheep and goat nations is all about those individuals and how they treat what Jesus simply refers to as the brothers of mine, his brothers. Who are his brothers? I personally believe Mm -hmm. he's referring to the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. So those who are sheep in the sheep and goat nations are those who respond kindly, graciously, supportively of the nation of Israel during the tribulation when the man of sin has turned his all of his anger and wrath against them. Mm-hmm. And those who are goats are those who line up with the man of sin and mm-hmm. are on his side. Mm-hmm. Then Jesus says, he'll say to those on his left, the goats, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal life, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat, thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. Stranger, you didn't invite me in, needed clothes, you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, you did not look after me. They'll answer again, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger and need clothes or sick and are in prison and didn't help you? He'll reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Key verse coming up. Then they, those who he calls the goat nations, will go away into Mm. eternal punishment. Mm. But the righteous... To eternal life. Hmm. That's the judgment of the sheep and goat nations that happens at the end of the tribulation when Jesus returns.
0: And lest we think that this is a salvation by works, this is a, an action as a result of faith that is being judged here just as much um, with the sheep and the goat judgment.
1: That's right.
0: Um, now, there's another event that we still need to talk about, and we uh, It's uh, an event that believers will be participating in, and that is the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Actually, uh, we celebrate this uh, during our communion service. It's one of the things that we celebrate in our time together with our threefold communion. So what is the Marriage Supper of the Lamb? When does it happen? Where does it happen? And why would you say it's important? Well, the uh, Marriage Supper of the Lamb is described in the
1: book of Revelation, again, following Um, The Great Tribulation, following the judgment of the sheep and goat nations, when the Lord Jesus has returned in power and glory to defeat the forces of evil, we're told that in heaven there is this great time of celebration. And we read these words, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Verse 7, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. So, apparently, in heaven, perhaps probably toward the end of the tribulation, there is this gathering of believers, believers in Jesus Christ, called the bride, his church, prepared in glory and beauty to be united with the Lord Jesus in heaven forever. And John goes on to say, Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. So these believers have demonstrated their faithfulness to God while they lived here on earth. There is a great wedding celebration. We could go into a lot of description of what a a typical Jewish wedding looked like, but this is going to put any typical Jewish (laughs) wedding to to shame. Mm. It is a grand celebration where the groom, the Lord Jesus, and the bride, his church, are united for all eternity.
0: Well, I love that celebration at our communion service where we remember that time uh, in the future uh, where we will be uh, with the Lord as his church. Uh, there's another um, event or um, entity, really, that's going to be in the eternal state, and that is the New Jerusalem. Now, we talked about that a little bit the last time we were together talking about future events, but um, why don't you give us a little bit more on the New Jerusalem. We kind of established that it is a literal description of a literal place, uh, but why don't you give us a little bit more insight about the New Jerusalem?
1: Well, the key chapter here is Revelation 21, where we're told that there is a new heaven and a new earth created by the Lord, for the first heaven and the first earth pass away. Well, I for one am glad the first earth is going to pass away because I'm tired of all the heartache
0: that Amen. we're experiencing
1: here on this earth. Won't Amen. be any more COVID uh, when the new heaven and the new earth are created. Uh, but as a part of that, John tells us that there is the creation of what he calls the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. He gives us the specific dimensions of the new Jerusalem, 12,000 stadia in length. 12,000 stadia in width, and 12,000 stadia in height. The wall around the New Jerusalem is 144 cubits thick. You say, how long is a cubit? It's from the length of a man's elbow to his thumb. So it's it's a massive, massive city. that comes down from heaven out of God. And then John describes the beauty of it. He says the wall was made of Jasper, the city of pure gold, pure glass, the foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. Jasper, sapphire, chalcedony, emerald, sardonyx, and so forth. There are 12 different stones that are identified signifying, of course, Mm -hmm. the 12 tribes. Now, John goes on to say, I didn't see a temple in the city, because the Lord, all God, Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Mm-hmm. The city does not need the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. So the point is, in this new Jerusalem, the Lord Jesus himself is the one who is the focus of attention. John says, the nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there'll be no night there. Wow. What an incredible sight. Apparently, people are coming and going in this new Jerusalem. Those who are believers in Jesus Christ are enjoying the glory of that place. And we have the privilege of knowing that. That there will be nothing mm. that will dishonor the Lord himself, because John concludes that section by saying, nothing impure will ever enter it, mm. nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Mm. And of course, the question is, how do we get to enjoy all that? Amen. Well, you and I would say, if we're honest with ourselves, we've been deceitful at times. Mm. We've dishonored God. Mm but it's only because of God's grace Mm. that we get to enjoy this. Mm. It's only when we place our faith in who Jesus Christ is and place our trust in what he accomplished for us through his death on the cross to satisfy the justice that God should direct at you and me because of our own rebellion. Mm. It's only because of what Jesus did for us Mm. that we can experience the glory of that place. What a great opportunity. What anticipation we ought to have of what we'll experience when we're with him.
0: Yeah, what great love uh, the Lord has uh, expressed to us through Jesus Christ, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And what a day that will be, a day that will last forever. Uh, There will be no more time, and we will enjoy that forever. Well, you've already uh, given us a little bit of a next step uh, when it comes to this brief study of um, the end times. And I think we found a lot of encouragement through even these descriptions of the less understood elements of the end times. Um, really, there are two purposes of prophecy one is to warn, and one is to encourage. And I think we've been both uh, during this study. But as you think about a next step, uh, certainly embracing the grace of Jesus Christ is one, living in the grace of Jesus Christ would be a next step for us. But are there any other next steps you can think of that we need to be pursuing coming out of our discussion today? Hmm. Well, I think of um, something I said earlier in one of the broadcasts,
1: one of the podcasts, excuse me. Um, we we need to live in light of eternity. Hmm. Uh, we really do. We need to think about what's coming for us. It doesn't mean we don't think about what's going on around here on earth. Um, you know, it's not like we're so heavenly minded that we're no, of no earthly good. But frankly, most of us are just the opposite. That's right. We focus more on the things of this earth than we do mm. on the things of heaven and eternity. And there is this great call in the book of Revelation to focus on what's ahead, mm. to see what's coming where God sets things right mm. on this earth once
0: for all. Mm. I think that's a mindset that as the followers of Jesus, we need to adopt. Yeah. Live with the end in mind and in the grace that we possess in Jesus Christ. Great challenge for us, Bob. Thank you so much for that. Well, we're glad that you uh, chose to join us today for this full life podcast. We trust that today's podcast has added to and strengthened your own faith journey. Remember, Jesus came that you might have life and have it to the full. Our prayer is that you would pursue the full life that God has for you.